0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's open our Bibles now, if you would please, to the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 14. This year is a little unusual That Easter came near the end of April and now we're just three weeks later and we're already at Mother's Day. And the message that I'd like to bring you this morning is about an incident that happened just before Easter. I'm not talking about Easter this year. I'm speaking of Easter, the original Easter, all the way back when Jesus was crucified and then arose from the dead. And this was an, an act of worship that Jesus said was for the purpose of announcing his death and his burial and it was worship that was enacted upon Jesus by a woman had a woman who had special insight into his death an insight that others should have had but unfortunately they didn't she knew something about Jesus that they should have known but they didn't know and not being an apostle not being a preacher She believed something that the apostles were unwilling to accept. Now, perhaps you might remember that before the crucifixion, it was before the crucifixion, the disciples were upset that Jesus would return to Jerusalem after he was threatened to be killed. The chief priests and scribes were scheming to put Jesus to death, and it was unlikely that he would survive if he went back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so his disciples protested, and they were insistent that he shouldn't go. And you remember that Jesus told them very plainly that he would be rejected by the elders, the chief priests. They would take him, and they would put him to death. He would be crucified. And this is when Peter rebuked Jesus. Peter was concerned about the kingdom and his position in the kingdom. And to him, a dead leader just doesn't work. How do you have a kingdom with a dead leader And remarkably, Jesus replied to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. He said to Peter, Get thee behind me. Uh, And In essence, he said, You're looking for something for yourself rather than for the good of the kingdom of God. And can you imagine that Jesus would say this to Simon Peter when it was just after Peter had made his excellent profession of faith in Jesus Christ. It was an astounding assertion that Jesus would refer to Satan as Peter. And it surely proves this one point, I think, that Satan would have gladly prevented Jesus from going to the cross if he could. Now, you may not think that way because many times you'll hear preachers say in Easter sermons that Satan and his demons had a party when Jesus was crucified, that they thought that they had defeated him, and so they partied for three days, and then Jesus ruined their party when he arose from the dead. And I think that's a mischaracterization of what happened. I think that Satan knows the Scripture. The Bible makes it clear that Satan manipulates the Scriptures. Uh, Satan twists the Scriptures. He uses it for his purposes. He quotes the Scripture. And he very well knew what the Old Testament said about the death of the Messiah... He'd watched Israel make their sacrifices for many centuries. He saw what happened in the tabernacle and the temple. And he knew very well that these sacrifices represented the day that the Messiah would come and he would be put to death. And Satan also remembered that God spoke to him in the Garden of Eden and said that he would crush, or he would rather bruise, the heel of the Messiah. But the Messiah would crush his head. And so it was in Satan's best interest to prevent the death of the cross or at least to kill Jesus in some other way that would be contrary to the Scriptures. And thus when he tempted Christ, remember this in Matthew chapter 4, he tempted Christ and he tried to get Jesus to refuse to go to the cross. To refuse the suffering and the death that would happen there and just take the kingdom, begin a kingdom without going there to pay for the sins of his people. So Satan didn't want Jesus on the cross because he would be a sacrifice that would heal us from the curse of sin. And so the cross became a nail in the coffin of Satan and the resurrection of Jesus Christ sealed it shut. Now I'm sure you're thinking... What does that have to do with Mother's Day? And what does all this have to do with this passage that we have in Mark 14? Well, let's read the scriptures and I'll explain. Mark 14 and verse number 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought now or sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was the waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done, shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Again, you may ask, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? Now, although the passage mentions a woman, there's nothing here that says that she was a mother. And although it does speak of of an amazing act of faith, there's nothing here that implies that we should have a commemorative day for mothers. And I admit that's true. As we look at this, I admit that it's true. And the connection that I want to make with this passage today celebrates no one but Jesus Christ. Now, Mother's Day comes on Sunday each year. But there isn't a reason that we would be in church today except for Christ. Not because of mothers and what mothers do. We do want to honor mothers. And there might even, I don't know, there might be someone here that you're here because of your mother... But it's best for you to remember this, that your mother is here because of Jesus Christ. She is here because of the worship of Christ. Now, the connection, though, that I would like to make with this text is the value of a godly woman in the service of Christ. Now, in the first century, uh, the culture devalued women in every context, especially in religion, and it was Christ in the church that said no we, we are not to make distinctions between uh, the worth of people based upon their sex. And you'll notice that I didn't say sexual orientation because the Bible knows no such language as that. But the Bible does teach that there is a difference between men and women. And we take different roles in the church. And the roles that we take are complementary. They're not adversarial. Both are equally valuable When we serve Christ in those places where he wants us to serve. In this text, I think it's remarkable that a woman had insight into Jesus' death that Peter and the other apostles didn't have. And we ask the question, did God have a purpose in this? Is this an accidental thing? Well, I don't think that God does anything by accident. God knows all his works from the beginning of of the world, from the creation, and so he fully intended that this would happen. He makes his plans in eternity, and he planned for this woman to teach his disciples something about his death. Now, before we go on, we need to identify the woman. There aren't any names that are used in this text. Well, there is one name, and that is, this gathering is in the house of Simon the leper. Now, that, that name is another great clue because that can, that can send us to other places of Scripture where we can see other accounts of the same thing and find out who this woman was. So if you would, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 12, where we, we find the identity of the woman. This gathering is in Bethany, just before the Passover. And if you look at John's gospel here in his account of this very same incident, we learn who this woman was. In John 12, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair... And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. We learn that the woman's name is Mary. This is the sister of Lazarus and Martha. There might have been two purposes for this supper. Perhaps it was a celebration that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. That happened in chapter 11, just a while before this. But more likely, Jesus was in this house because he had healed Simon the leper. Now, Simon is known as a leper, but we could say he is one who had been a leper because there was no one who would go into the house of a leper to eat. Uh, Lepers were separated from the rest of the population. They couldn't mix in with other people because of their disease. And so whenever a leper would go out into public, he would have to announce that he was coming. He would have to say, unclean, unclean. And then when people saw that he was coming, they would part and let him go through. So no one had contact with the leper. But just to show you how thorough was the healing of Simon, that there was no one who was afraid to go at his house to eat with him. When Jesus healed people, the the healing was complete. It was lasting. The disease would never come back. And so here they are with this dinner party in the house of Simon the leper. It's attended by Jesus and his apostles and by Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it was during this dinner party that Mary made an uncommon act of love and devotion upon Jesus. It was a prophetic act. It was prophetic worship as the object of her worship was the death of Jesus Christ. That would happen in just a few days. Now, as we look at this, I I would like to comment on the appreciation that I have for women in our church. I've seen many acts of loving worship. I've seen many people who act much like Mary did. I've experienced these these acts of worship and love and compassion in these many months of my wife's illness. And did you know that when you are kind to another brother and sister in Christ, that your actions are also worship of Jesus Christ? Jesus said this in Matthew 25. He said, when you do these things for your brethren, it's like you've done it to him. And so whenever we we act like the Savior, we demonstrate that that what he did was worthy to imitate. We we show that what he taught was right, that he acted towards others the way that God acts towards those that he loves. And so when we imitate God, that's one of the highest acts of worship that we can do. And why would that be true? Well, it, it is because if we do differently, then we say that what Jesus did was worthless. He's not worth imitating. that We need not act as Jesus did because that has no value. Charles Colton, who was both a preacher and a rogue, in fact, once said, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And he was right. In other words, when you act like another person, you're giving that person a compliment. And so I think the Bible is telling us that when we act like Christ, when we... When we imitate Christ, we're, we're giving him a compliment. We're worshiping him. Paul said, be ye followers of me. He used the word mementes, and it's a word that means imitators. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Jesus said to follow him, and following implies doing what he did. And it must, because obviously we can't follow Jesus physically, Jesus is not here to follow him physically. And so following must be a spiritual act. It's a spiritual, it is spiritual activity to do what Jesus did. And so we worship by imitating him. And I'm very thankful for this, that we have uh, ladies in our church that follow Christ, that kindness and compassion and willingness to help others, to help us. And then to carry on the work of the church, that, folks, in fact, is worship of the Savior. And let me also say that after 17 years of service in Berean, I've learned more and more that worship is more the attitude of the heart. Worship must be an attitude of the heart. I was raised in a church that put more emphasis on outward appearances, devotion To Christ and godliness was measured mostly by hemlines and necklines. And some of you might have even attended Christian schools where girls were asked to kneel to measure their skirts to make sure that they touched the ground. And emphasis was put too much on the outward appearance when very little was ever said about the attitude of the heart. And so I was raised to believe that a woman couldn't possibly be a godly woman if she didn't wear anything but a dress. And a woman in pants, that can't be a godly person. And so our church turned out to be full of many, many judgmental people who said, unless you act this way, unless you fit into this mold, then you can't be a good Christian. And I'll tell you that I haven't abandoned dress issues altogether because the Bible very clearly says that both men and women are to dress modestly. But I've learned more to appreciate the heart because that's the essential matter. And it's not intended that those who keep a set of rules should look down on those that they think are beneath them because they don't live up to their standard. So the measure of godliness is the attitude of the heart and that makes a judgmental person with, a, with their dress down to the floor if it goes there or even laced up to the neck not a very godly person at all if they wear their clothes as a badge of their godliness. All of that's extra information. That's not going to be on the test afterwards. So let's let's look at this. Take a few minutes to look in this passage and glean a few thoughts from this beautiful act of worship. And I'm happy that we can revisit this subject again today. We, we looked at the parallel passage in Matthew when we finished up that series a few years ago. And it's good to come back here again to see this great act of worship on Mother's Day. Mary worshipped Jesus. And at the outset, that that says very something very important. She didn't have the benefit of knowing all that we know. Mary could not pick up a Bible and read about the crucifixion and understand it as an historical fact. She couldn't read about Christ's burial. She couldn't read about a resurrection that would come three days later. She had no corroborative information about any of this, so she didn't have the historical record as we do that was convincing proof of what Jesus would do. What she did in this act of worship happened before the cross. None of this has taken place yet. Uh, She's going on information that she's heard, and so her act was conceived by faith alone. She was convinced only because she heard Jesus. Jesus. She didn't have a Bible to read. She didn't have anything that, that gave a blow-by-blow account of the days that followed. And so she was convinced only by what she heard, by what she observed in Jesus' life. And her hope in the Messiah began in her faith. Faith is the beginning of her worship. Now first, I, I think that we need to look at the definition of worship. Worship defined. What is worship? Worship. As I speak to you this morning, maybe you don't even understand the term. What do you mean when you say worship? Well, it's not unusual for for someone to say something like this. I love my mother so much that I worship the ground she walks on. That's high praise. Because the real meaning of worship is defined as reverent love and devotion that is given to a deity. Love and devotion given to a deity. Now, it's highly doubtful that you believe that your mother is God. But we understand that to say that you worship your mother, that's a euphemism for how highly you respect her. So we do understand that the expression is figurative. You're not going to pray to your mother. You're not going to make an idol of her and sit in the backyard and then go out and every day bow down before it and expect that that your mother will bless you. And yet, minus the idol... That is exactly what we expect from God, isn't it? That we bow before God and we expect Him when we worship Him to to bless us. And this is what worship in the Old Testament meant. It meant to bow down. It's to place yourself lower and expect a blessing from the one who is higher. And so worship is not just a thought that you form in your head. Worship expresses itself in an action. Worship is what prompts action... You actually do acts of worship. And this is Mary's attitude. It's not what she said. Because we read nothing. In this passage about anything that she said. And yet when she did this. Her act. Was interpreted by Jesus as worship. He saw her acting upon her spiritual insight. Into his death. That she took the very best that she had. And she brought it. And anointed Jesus. And in John 12 it says she bowed. And she began to wipe his feet with her hair. I think a good question for us is, have we done our best for Jesus? Do we come to church and sing the praises? Do we say that we're worshiping as we're in here? Do we pretend that we're giving our best without acting out those Praises by truly imitating Christ. Uh, What I'm trying to say is. Are we different people out there than we are in here? Are we actually carrying out there. Carrying on out there. What we have learned in here. And when we talk about. Giving our best to Jesus. I'm not talking about bringing your 65 inch TV. And laying it on the communion table. Because that's the thing that's most valuable to you. I'm not talking about parking your BMW out in front of the church and bringing the keys in and dropping it into the offering bag. Although I'd be the first to, re- to take that if, if you did. I'm not speaking of that. Worship and giving our best to Jesus is not those things, but it is to give ourselves fully into the service of Christ to be used wherever He wants to use us. And how do you do that? Well, that's an action. It can't be just the words that you say. You can't talk to me and talk to God about how much you love Him unless you back that up with an action. And so, to worship Christ, really, is to leave this building with the determination to put into practice the very things that you learn from God's Word as you sit here and listen to these sermons and sing the praises to His name. It's to be the same person out there as you are in here, where you come in here and you show your devotion, you show your godliness, you show reverence. Are you the same person out there in practice as you are in here with your praises? And if you're not, then you've not worshipped in here. Then I also believe that the Bible teaches that worship is also to work in the Lord's church. You haven't worshipped Until you see the church of Christ as Christ saw it. The scripture says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so to worship Christ, it would mean that we must give our lives for his church. We must be in the service of his church. I think it would be hard to say that you do that if you're absent more from God's church than you're here. You see, Christ gave His life for the church. It was only a few days after this. Mary's anointing of Him was a view towards His death. And His death would be for His people. His death was to present Himself with a glorious church. As the Word of God says, without spot or wrinkle, a a holy church. He gave His life for that. He gave a supreme sacrifice for His church. So how can you worship Christ if your attitude towards His church is less than that? That's the defining thing. What do you think about the Lord's church? How do you give yourself in service to God by His church? Because that's what He left on earth to serve Him. I praise God for our women who do much of the work here because they love Christ. They love His people which they show by making the church their life. And to be absent from the church, to be absent from work and worship, that is grief. Because they are apart from God's people. In my wife's illness, she's been kept from church on many Sundays, and I'm glad that she was able to be here today. But much of her grief is over this very thing. It's over the loss of fellowship. And she grieves because she can't be here involved in the work. She can't go into the office. She grieves because church work has been her life. From the time that we were married 45 years ago, her work was to work in the nursery. Her work was in the Sunday school. Her work was in children's services. She worked on bus routes. She worked in Bible school. It was always fulfilling worship in work. And imagine what that's like when you can't do it any longer. When that's been your life, when that's what you've given your life to... And you can't do it any longer. And of course we understand this, that there comes a time in all of our lives when when we just can't do it any longer and we must step down and just wait on that commendation that we receive from the Lord where He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I would caution some of you that you don't do this, that you do not step down too early. Can you still do it? Can you still work for the Lord? Can you be used in His service? Then you ought to. If you're capable, your worship is to give Christ your very best in serving His church. So see, see, worship, worshiping Christ is to follow Him, is to imitate Him. To worship Christ is to believe in His worth. That th- this is what I have to give my life to. It's to believe in His worth. And indeed, the very word worship comes from the old English word worthship. That Christ is worth everything that we do. That's what it means to truly worship Christ. Now, secondly, we see in our text, worship demonstrated. And, and I do think this is what we're talking about, aren't we? We're talking about worship demonstrated. Your acts of love and compassion are worship demonstrated. Thinking about mothers, what is a good mother? Many answers to that question As Christians, I I believe that we generally agree, on at least on this answer, that the best mothers are those who are concerned about how their children serve Christ. That they're more concerned about their relationship with Christ than they are how much they're involved with the world and being recognized by the world. A good mother wants her children to be cared for. She demonstrates her care for them with her unselfishness. Her children are her desire And many times a mother will deprive herself of things for her own good, for the good of her children. She may do that in order to clothe her children. And once again, I say that a good mother demonstrates. She demonstrates the hearts of love that she has for her children and for her husband through her actions. And we just read about that in the Proverbs 31 passage, didn't we? Did you see all the activity that's going on in Proverbs chapter 31? All the, all the virtuous woman is involved in and what she's doing until finally the scripture says her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband, trust in her. So a good mother, she wants children to be cared for. You know, you know there are many things that my parents prevented me from doing when I grew up because they conflicted with church work. My, my parents knew the value of church work. And so they knew the things that would last and the things that benefit me the most are things that led me into a closer relationship with the Lord. I do not stand in this pulpit today by accident. I didn't just happen along here one day. No, I was raised this way. I was raised to be in church, raised to serve the Lord, and so we try to do that with our own children. Make the Lord's service the most important thing that we do. We are not going to forsake the Lord's work. Now if I could take off here for just a moment and and, and speak of how Christ acts like a good mother, we could deal with that. It'd be a little bit odd because most of the time um Jesus is referred to as a brother or he's referred to as the everlasting Father as it does in in Isaiah chapter 9. But Jesus did, in fact, give us an example of motherhood when he compared himself to all things, of all things, to a mother hen. He compared himself to a mother hen who gathers her, her brood under her wings. In Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen? doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. We could spend a good deal of time on that passage, but rather than speak of Christ as a good mother, I would kind of like to turn that around and, and say that a good follower of Jesus is a worshiper that demonstrates... A good follower of Jesus is one who bows and listens to him as a good child listens to his wise mother. The brood hears the mother cluck in the storm and the brood gathers itself under the wings of the mother. And Mary is exactly that type. Because whenever we see her in the scriptures, she's always near to Jesus. She's always there listening to him. John says she washed his feet with her hair. And on another occasion, you remember that Martha was very busy about cooking and cleaning and she complained about Mary because where was Mary? She wasn't helping, she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to Him. Could we say that a good mother learns from Jesus? How do we learn? Well, we learn by listening. We learn by hearing His Word and being good students of His Word. And so I'm thankful that we have women in our church that are listening, women that are thoughtful about God's Word, and I see how much you contribute. Even today we saw that, the questions that, very good questions that come out of the forum class. And and then we have our ladies that participate in the Wednesday night Bible study, and there's good conversation that goes on. We have our ladies that are listening and learning and and helping out with that study. But do you know there are some who won't learn? There there are some who close their ears to what we say because they think they already know it all. They know what they know and they don't need to know anymore. But I'll tell you this much, as long as I've been at this, and 17 years of service here in Berea, and one thing that I've learned, I don't know it all. And I'm always learning. There's always something to pick up. There's always more that can be found in God's Word. And so after all these years of pastoring and more than 40 years in church services and in church service... I pick up new insights into the scripture all of the time. Mary's worship was to hear Jesus. And you have to just ask this question. Why did she know these things? Why did she know what to do in anointing Jesus for his burial? And the others didn't. It's because she was listening. In fact, we find that the disciples were stubborn about hearing. They weren't listening. In Mark Eight thirty-one and 32, you can see the difference between her and Peter. And he began, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke these sayings openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. He spoke openly. He taught them. He's going To die. Mary heard that. Peter didn't. She listened. She believed it. And knowing that it's only a few days until his death, she knew that she had to do this now. If she waits, it's too late. And so she took her expensive ointment and demonstrated. She worshipped Jesus. Now thirdly, we see worship despised. In verses 3 and 4, worship was despised. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper as he sat at meat there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard very precious and she broke the box and poured it on his head and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said why was this waste of the ointment made some were indignant about this lavish display pouring out this ointment on Jesus they said that is a waste you don't need to do that. You don't need to do it. That's a waste. Don't don't give that to Jesus. And the one who hated it the worst was Judas. Judas was the one who kept the bag. He's the treasure of this group. Now very unlike our treasurer, John Bunn, Judas liked to put his hand in the bag. Judas liked to pilfer the bag. So I'm sure that he hoped that this money would be turned over him. And he would say, hey, I'm going out to feed the poor. And as he did, he would take his cut right off the top. Now you can see in verse number 10 that comes afterwards, his disgust and his disappointment, disappointment seeked him, uh, 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 caused him to seek payment from someone here. And so he went to the chief priest and he betrayed Jesus. Jesus wasn't his God. He despised this lavish outpouring on someone he thought was a fraud. Jesus didn't deserve it. And that's what's going on in Judas' mind. And, and you know the very same thing. with the, the disciples were caught up in that same thing. The same disgust that Judas had. They were short-sighted because they didn't see what Mary saw. She listened and believed and they just couldn't put this whole thing together. Now what is a good mother? And what is a good lady? Well, I believe that she serves Christ. She will continue to serve Christ even though others are against her. Even though her friends and her family stands against her, she will still serve Christ. Even when her friends and family forsake her, she still serves Christ. Others don't see any value in him. I won't mention any names here, but my heart was thrilled to hear this story a few years ago. The person that this is about will recognize it is about her, and I apologize. I don't want to embarrass anyone, so I won't mention her name. But she told me when she became a member of the church that she determined that she was going to honor Christ with tithes and offerings. She determined that it is right to obey God no matter what others say. Her husband is not a Christian, and because of that, she couldn't tithe off her family income, of which her income was a part. But she wanted to, and so each week when she went to the grocery, she would write her check, and she wrote her check over, and took the money and put it into the collection plate. And when her husband discovered what she was doing... He said, you know, that that's enough money that we can make another car payment. And she continued to do it... After it was found out, even though there were protests. But because of that determination and, and her devotion to Christ to honor him... Her family now accepts it. And though they're not yet Christians... They're they're okay that, that, that she comes to church, that she's here to worship. And do you understand why things like this happen? It's because the Bible teaches that a whole family can be blessed because of the action of a believing spouse. Even though the others in the family aren't believers, a whole family can be blessed because there's one believer in that house that stands for Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, "For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband; else were your children unclean, but now they are holy." Don't mistake. This does not believe that the unbeliever or does not say that the unbeliever is saved by the faith of the believer, but it means that that God regards the family unit and he will bless them Because there is a believer there and that blessing that God gives to the family is good for the believer and that's part of God's favor on them. Be faithful no matter who opposes you. The lost despise your worship. But I have seen so many times that they come to respect consistency. It's much better to live your faith than to claim it and then live against it with inconsistencies. Unbelievers will never believe that Christ can change them if he didn't change you. So the good mother and the good Christian will stand for Christ when others call them crazy for doing it. Unbelievers are invested in all the treasures of the world. Like Judas, they want it all for themselves, not Mary. Her most expensive treasure was hers because of who? God gave it to her. That's why she has it. God gave it to her. He gave it in the first place. So she just gave it back and lavished it on Jesus. So what did, what did Mary see? It's the opportunity to prove her love for Christ. Everyone else says that's foolish. Don't do it. Why, why not sell that ointment? I and mean, if you're going to get rid of it, give it to the poor. What did Jesus say? He said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me you have not always. Was Jesus unconcerned about poor people? Oh, you know better, don't you? He spent most of his ministry among the poor and the outcasts. He was very concerned about poor people. So why did he say this? I think it can only be because Jesus was teaching that he is above every act that you can do. And unless you recognize Him, and unless you act to worship Him, then all the other good things that you do, all the other benevolences that you might give to others, it's no good unless you recognize Jesus Christ. All of that is fruitless. The poor are always with us. We can help them, although most of us don't. We can help them. But Jesus' point here is we must recognize His worth above all others. Now, fourthly, in our story, is worship defended? Jesus backed down everybody with the defense of Mary in verse number 8. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Let her alone, Jesus said. Her work is do- good. She did what she could. Now, could I take off on that statement for just a minute? She did what she could. She did what was in her power to do. Now, it's a shame that in the Church of Christ, there are some who see women's work as inferior to the men's. Sometimes you might even think that I think that way. Because I have a joking manner. Sometimes you think I put women down. I had an example of this. I had an example of what I do wrong. But I'm not into self-flagellation, so I cut that comment from the sermon. We won't talk about that. But whenever I whenever I say something about women, I find this always to be true, that the deacons get hammered at home. And so they come crying to me about what they've been treated terribly at home, and so they got these knots on their heads, and they say, you've got to be a little bit more careful about what you say. Not everybody takes what you say as a joke. So, So I am a joker. I get in trouble. Probably doesn't help that I was raised in the politically incorrect self, but truth is women are my friends, which my wife sometimes is not too happy to hear, and that's a joke too, so don't take that the wrong way. I don't want to get in trouble for that. But my point is that when we look at church work, we ought not to think that the woman's work is less than the man's because we don't ordain women. The Bible doesn't give us any warrant, any commands that say that we can ordain women into Uh, to be pastors or deacons in the church. But this is so true that we would be lost without the women's work. The church would be severely deficient without our women. And our godly women don't agonize because they can't stand in the pulpit. They don't desire to come up here. They don't want to be ordained. What is it they want? They want to do what they can. They want to be in the place where God wants them to serve. They want to be in the place that God gave them to serve in the church and in their home. And to step outside of that is foreign to them. It's uncomfortable to them. They despise that. Folks, that's a godly woman. There are women sitting here that have I said, okay, now's your chance. Come up here and, and just bring your sermon with you come up here and preach to us, read the Scriptures, give us a few comments, come up here, lead us in prayer, they won't do it. They would refuse to do it if I said that. Like Mina, they prefer to do the preaching at home and they can talk to Jorge there. So so they, they refuse all of this. It's not godly for a woman to stand here. It's not what they do. They believe the Scriptures. So they're not going to be Joyce Jezebel Joyce Meyer. They're not going to be that. They're, they aren't going to preach... God's Word says they can't do that. Mary did what she could. She honored Christ in the best way possible within the parameters of God's Holy Word. Now, she wasn't an apostle, not like these ones who made the mistake of criticizing what she could do. So you're not going to find her preaching at the temple later like Peter and John. That's not what she could do. But did she do her best? And how do we know it was her best? We'll look at verse number 9. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Isn't that something? The gospel is blessed to others by what Mary did. She is remembered for what she did. Not one time that I can find in Scripture that she preached a sermon. But this act of worship... This act of worship that she did, this was an act that's remembered in Scripture. She couldn't do what an apostle did. But was her worship valuable? Her story has become a gospel story. She's memorializing God's word. Jesus said, my word's never going to pass away. And so this is written in heaven forever. Forever. She is remembered. She's long gone, but never forgotten. And I dare say that these women preachers, Joyce Meyer and and Paula White and all of that ilk will be long gone and forever forgotten by us and God. In Revelation 2.20, there it says that, that the Jezebel ministers seduce his servants, seduce God's servants. They lead them into sin. They don't do what they're supposed to do. Jesus said... Mary did what she could. She did what she was supposed to do. And so her act was prophetic and it was a token of Christ's burial. Soon his body would be anointed with burial spices. Soon Joseph of Arimathea would claim his body from the cross and then he and Nicodemus would would take it to the tomb and they would begin to anoint his body with burial spices, expensive burial spices. And I would ask you ladies that so carefully take notes in sermons on Sunday afternoons where we're studying types and figures. Do you understand what a type is? Of course you do. You understand a type. And what Mary did was a type. And the antitype of it was when Joseph and Nicodemus took those burial spices, the expensive ones, and anointed the body of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Our women are worshippers. They sit at the feet of Jesus and they learn. Now might I ask you as we close today, ladies and gentlemen, have you done what you could? Are you doing what you could? Are you serving Christ? Do you honor Christ? Is he first in your life? Do you give Christ your very best? Is your service costly? Or is it just merely convenient? Do you sacrifice anything for the one who sacrificed all for you? Do you take your time for him, or is it just leftover time, if any at all? One of these days, we're all going to die. We'll stand before God at judgment, and he'll bring up the record, and he'll check to see this. What did you do? How else is he going to refer to the good and faithful servant unless he checks what they did? What is the record of what you did? Did you do what you could? And so he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And many will hear those words. Mary will hear those words because she was a godly servant who has a memorial. The question is, will you have your memorial? Is there something that you have done that will come up before God as a memorial of your good works that deserve a reward throughout all of eternity? That's what happens when you worship Jesus. It's act. These are all acts that are remembered by the eternal God. Though another person may never see it, God knows, God sees, and God's always faithful to reward. Godly homes, godly churches, are blessed with godly women. They worship Christ, because He deserves the very best they can do. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for your word. This memorial that we've read of Mary, who brought this expensive ointment, anointed your head, wiped your feet with her hair. She gave the very best that she had in service to you. Lord, here is a woman who who forsook everything else, all the treasures that she had, everything that she might have thought that she was important in life. No doubt. She had saved this alabaster box of ointment for some later time that might even have been her retirement. Who knows? But she kept it up for another purpose. How can she worship God with it? Lord, may, may we think of our own possessions that way. May we think of our own lives that way, of our work that way. What can we do for Christ? What can we do that serves him in his church that is our act of worship? Lord, speak to our hearts today. We thank you for our mothers. We thank you for everyone that's here today. But especially as we think about Mother's Day, we thank you for godly women. We thank you for women with a determination that they will do all they can to raise their children to know you and to love you. They honor their husbands and they have a family unit where you are the number one priority in everything that they do. Lord, help us to have those kinds of families and that kind of a church. Thank you, Lord, for this service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California,